Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zenache. I am your conduit, your catalyst, and your coach to that better life. A coach draws out hidden potential in a subject. A conduit provides a connection, and a catalyst sparks change. So we are here today. We're going to talk about kind of some buzzwords that people might have been hearing about, and they may have an idea of what it means, and they may not. They may be completely lost. Um, and those two words are diversity and inclusion. And I have uh, with me Colin Thompson. So say hi to the people. Hello, people. And he's going to be telling us about his expertise in this and then also his experiences with it. Um, and I'm going to be doing the same because we're coming from two different backgrounds. I'm coming from more of an educational background and he's coming from more of a, a corporate entrepreneurial background with this topic. So, uh, but first off, you know, whenever I approach a topic, you know, I want to kind of talk about like, what does it mean? And what does it mean to me? And, and like, what are my experiences with it? And, and also, you know, with Zenergy, the whole idea is more peace and fulfillment in life. So sometimes we have these topics that we hear in the news. We don't really understand what they mean. Uh, we're confused about it. We don't know if it's a good thing, a bad thing. You know, so one goal of Zenergy is also to provide that clarity so we can have that peace and to give some insight to give different perspectives and different viewpoints on some of the, these, in a sense, buzzwords or things that we hear um, that sometimes become so controversial, but may not even need to be controversial. Right. You know, so, so, Mr. Thompson, I don't know how old you are. I'm not going to ask you how old you are. You can share it if you want. <laughs> You know, but I'm going to tell the people I'm 50. And when I think of diversity, I think of what I did not have growing up. You know, when I was very young, I remember, you know, spending a lot of time with my grandparents. And when we turned on the TV, we saw Father Knows Best. And I don't think I saw a black face on that show and leave it to Beaver. And I didn't see right, a black right. face on that show. Right. And, but you know, Bonanza and Gunsmoke and all of these and different Happy days. Shows. Happy days. Happy days. Yeah, I loved happy days. And these are wonderful memories. But I remember seeing no one that looked like me. I remember um, the first time I was, it was a Saturday morning, just cartoons had just gone off. And a little black girl named Kim Fields came on the Mrs. Butterworth yes. commercial. Yes. And I jumped up and I ran in the kitchen and I grabbed my grandmother. I said, there's a little black girl on TV. There's a little black girl on TV. Do you see that? This is she looks like me. I was so, you know, kids just today, teenagers, young people, they don't even understand what it was like the very first time I saw someone who looked like me on the TV. I just could not even believe it. And then we had Rodney Allen Rippy, you know, who Ripple, who uh, was the first black boy that I remember besides Buckwheat, you know, mm. on the Little Rascals being on tv you know and he had a commercial also and and then we, of course we had a lot of faces that came up we had you know facts of life and we had right. um you know of course all the great you know good times and you know intensely moving on up all those different things right. Right. When i was younger none of that existed that was not what i knew and it was really important to me to see myself and to see positive um, representations of black families and black life, you know? Um, and, and I remember that being such a amazing thing when that started to happen. And I began to feel like I was American too, you know? Cause sometimes you, as a minority, I don't know if you felt this, but I have sometimes felt left out of the whole right. American story. The whole, they say it's a melting pot, but mm, you know, I didn't feel like that when I was really young, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely know, know what you mean. And, and if you're 50 years old, you should not be calling me, me Mr. Thompson, okay? <laughs> I am I am about about three weeks from being 48. So we're in the same genre. We probably grew up watching the same uh, TV shows. I'm one of my favorite, Little House on the Prairie. Uh, again, not a black face to be seen. And I think that growing up in the generation, and what's so impressive now is that there are black faces, Asian faces, Indian faces all over TV. 
And one of the challenges I think we had during the 80s and 90s, where we started seeing or have more representation of black faces on TV, we didn't see them in under the best light. Mm -hmm. So that we so it, the, the the television movies, it was more diverse, meaning that people have different characteristics, whether it be race, gender, sexual orientation, more diverse, but it still was not representative of us to me in a positive way. It was definitely some I'm I'm going to say unconscious bias, some conscious bias going on there because for certain reasons why they wanted to paint a certain picture. Um, so I'm glad now that you see more and more people saying, wait a second, we want to have positive faces, not just diverse faces. That's a big difference because we, as you said, we were just so happy to see black people. Now we're saying, okay, enough. We've seen black people. We want to see positive black people. We want to see what represents the real community, not these stereotypes that have been so prevalent on TV, in music, in the movies for years and years and years. I agree with that. I agree with that. And and um, going back to positive stereotypes or, or breaking stereotypes by showing positive yes. images, I remember um, when I was watching the Miss America pageant mm. and Vanessa Williams won and my parents had already gone to sleep and I was sitting up there because I wanted to see who was going to win because we have black women in the pageant, you know. Right. And I remember knocking on my parents' door to tell them that uh, we had a Black Miss America. And my dad said, um, I'm not going to punish you for lying because you probably fell asleep and dreamed that. You know, so just go ahead and go to bed before you get in trouble. And I changed my mind. Because <laughs> he could not believe. He, he apologized to me the next day when he saw the news. But he, he could not believe that there would have been a Black Miss America. He just couldn't even believe that. That was not in his realm of of thinking and possibilities, you know, and of course, um, we know that there were some problems with that, you know, that crown and got taken away from her, but still right. the fact that she even was Miss America, the first one, it was just so um, amazing, you know. And it was, it was barrier breaking. It broke down barriers. Once she won, then other girls, not the black girls, other girls of color knew that, hey, I can do this also. I can win also. So I think it was, was, Groundbreaking, actually. She broke down barriers regardless of whether or not she was able to keep the crown. She won the crown. And that was very, very shifting as far as people's impression of how far we can go. That's true. That's true. You know, and, and just that whole idea of inclusion, that we're not being pushed out or left out or forgotten about, but we actually are a part of and we can achieve just as much you know, um, that was something that as I was growing up, I began to see more and more. And, you know, um, I just did a training for advanced placement. And it was talking about this thing called the backfire effect. And it mm -hmm. was saying that when we have a worldview, we have this way of seeing the world, that it's very strongly held for most people. They have this, you know, it's, it's very like rigidly held. And they gave the example of George Washington, okay, and how George Washington had two sets of dentures, you know, and people have been told there's this myth that his dentures were made of wood. And that's not actually true. So if you hear, oh, okay, well, his first set of dentures that he had was made of ivory and, and a bunch of other things, um, then you're like, oh, that's not wood. Okay, that's, you know, I, I, I learned something new. No problem. But then when you hear for some people that the second set of dentures that he had were made from slave's teeth, then mm -hmm. there are some people who, that can't be true. Oh my God, you're just slandering the, you know, our, 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 this person who was a patriot and a hero and the archetype of, you know, the foundation of our society. And, and there, because part of their worldview is that he is this and he can be nothing else. The backfire effect says that when we, some of us, are exposed to new information that is threatening to our view, we react to it the same way we would if it was a physical threat. We get as angry, we get as defensive, we get as, um, in, in a sense, even violent right. over an idea. Yeah, you know, I, I recall... Um... Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, I recall maybe about 20 years ago, 
when I was a younger man, um, like I said, I'm 48 now. So I was about, I was you know, mid, mid, mid 20s. And I remember talking with somebody who was not black. And they were talking to me about Dr. Martin Luther King. And they said, well, you know, he had affairs. He cheated on his wife. I said, what? And I went, got very angry and said, how dare you beseech his reputation by saying he did A, B, and C, which he did, right? But as you said, I wasn't ready to hear it. I, I, I took the truth as being slander. I took the truth as being lies. And of course, this person who was white can't possibly be telling me, a man who's black, anything about Dr. King, right? So sometimes when we're stuck in our, our views, whether or not we put people on a pedestal and believe that people are perfect or can't do things wrong, or we have these deep-based stereotypes that are very hard to change. Part of being able to do that is having those, what, those conversations and training, quite frankly, training to help you. We talk about cognitive dissonance, right? To help you get past that dissonance, to help you not have to say, well, I have a different idea, the conflicting, I'll just go with my idea because you know, I, I'm, I have that, that, that thought process. So I think training conversations can all help to overcome people's stereotypes and the distance that people have when they're faced with conflicting views on based on the long held ideas and thoughts. I agree. And, you know, I was, I'm reading, I just finished this book called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And one thing he said, which was really mind blowing to me, he said, whenever we learn something, whenever we find out a fact, we have to realize that that fact is only a partial truth, you know, hmm. because the world is so much bigger than what we can explain in a single sentence or a few ideas. So, you know, people, George Washington, Martin Luther King Jr., any person can have these amazing traits and also mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. along those amazing traits along with those great accomplishments have flaws have bad decisions have horrific things that they did right. those two can both be true and he was basically trying to get people to see to hold their facts as we call them um with a grain of salt realizing that there may be more information out there that you may be exposed to that mm -hmm. may may show you those facts were not facts at all or that it was a fact, but there's more to the story. And it's a little more complex more than the yeah. simple black and white thinking. And that we have to yeah. just be open to that. And I think with diversity and inclusion, we all grew up in a certain America, you know, whatever that America was. And for many of us, that is either we loved it or we hated it, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and if we loved it, we want to protect it. We want to keep it like that. We want to make sure that nothing tarnishes it. If we hate it, we want to change it. Um, right. But the thing is, whether we loved it or we hated it, we have to realize that it can grow and evolve. Everything has to grow and evolve and change is a part of, of just living, you know? Right. right. So when we're talking about, as I was kind of telling my story of how TV changed, you know, and these these minority faces begin to be a part of our our landscape of entertainment. You know, for some of us, for me, that was just such a blessing. And for other people, it was threatening. You know, we talk about the radio. For some people, it's amazing that they can turn the station, it's an Indian station. And turn the next station, it's a Spanish station. Turn the next station, it's something else. And for other people, that's very threatening because of the backfire effect. They thought right. that America was going to be this, radio was going to be this, or TV was going to be this, and they had a very rigid view of it, and now that's being challenged. And so I think that it's good to know why diversity is really a strength rather than something that's going to take away from anybody. You know, and I, I think about learning from other cultures. I think about... Um, the foods that we have. I think about just all of the different beliefs that we have that have strengthened us. You know, I remember um, so many different things I've learned. I remember like a story, just simple stories. Like um, I heard about the two wolves, you know, we all have two wolves in our heart. Right, right, right. Have the, the, the evil kind of fearful, angry, hateful wolf. And then you mm -hmm. have the peaceful, loving, courageous wolf. 
And this is an Indian story, of course, a Native American story. And which one is going to win? The one you feed. You feed the most. The one now, you that, feed the most. just that little story adds to our culture. It's something right. that we all can teach our kids, whether no matter what our background is, no matter what our economics are, our politics. So whether it's stories, whether it's, you know, food, dance, you know, music, dress, you know, there's just so much beauty in diversity and so much richness in diversity to bring that in and say, hey, let's share in this goodness and let's include all these different viewpoints is a strength, you know, but because some people have, I, I guess you could say, built their house in a certain way, they don't like their house being redecorated in any kind of way, you know, they feel it's their right. house and they're going to fight, right. keep it right. that way. And, and you know, one of the things I've, I've noticed and I, I agree with you 200% that there is such a rich heritage of other, of other people to learn. There is so much, I'm going to say, so many positive aspects and positive things to learn from people who are different from you. One of the challenges I've seen, though, is that being Black in America, you appreciate other cultures because you want to learn because you think you can learn something from it. But sometimes the majority, they don't feel there's anything to learn from other cultures. So they're not as open to trying and learning new things. And you see this really a lot when you go to, I'm going to say when you go to, let's say you go to a state university and you see um, the differences in black and white fraternities and how they act and how they show their culture. Um, with black fraternities and sororities being more physical stepping um, and white fraternities not, not being like that. And when you see and you say, well, do, are there any attributes from, from each other fraternity we want to adopt? And you'll see the black Greek letter fraternity sororities really embracing and adopting more of the more, more ideas from the other fraternities, whereas the other fraternities will not do that. But that's a very, that's a very wide example. But in the workplace, you also see this when organizations simply stop at diversity. Meaning, they will ensure, just like behind your head, you have your, your mask on there, mm -hmm. they'll make sure they have diversity in gender, sexual orientation, um, ethnic background, all these different things. But that's where a lot of organizations stop. They don't go for the inclusion part. They don't go for the equity part. And that is a major sign that sometimes these organizations are embracing diversity and inclusion for PR reasons, for public relations reasons, because they have to, especially last year. Last year, I got a lot more phone calls, a lot more inquiries, a lot more requests to do diverse inclusive training. And really, when I talk to a client and say, okay, what's the background, what's the situation? It's really because they want to be able to say, we've done this, we've trained our workforce, not because they really want any change in the workforce, but just to tick the box, and in case somebody comes asking, oh, yes, we are compliant, we've done that. And I think that's one of the major challenges that organizations have, because when employees feel, and employees can feel, when these programs are more for PR and not for true improvements in the workforce, you lose them. The trust goes down even more. And, and the other side, sometimes people get nervous. Okay, so now we're having this training. And this training, the organization may have what we call a quota. They may say, you know what? We want to have more women in our executive teams. We want to promote more women. So now some men may feel, well, it's not about merit anymore. Mm -hmm. Now it's about whether you're a male or female. So how organizations implement these programs, they have to be very, very careful to be transparent and to make sure that these different individuals and, and groups within the organization feel supported, feel empowered, and don't feel marginalized, and don't feel like their actual merit have, is not the key indicator to getting opportunities. And, and that's very key because I remember the first time, well, I remember two things. I remember hearing that when uh, Martin Luther King was doing the boycott back in the 60s, that there had been a study done in the South and they were asking, you know, 
white conservatives, white liberals, you know, across the whole political spectrum. How do you feel about race relations? I mean, are there really problems in the South? Right. And only 8% said there were major problems in the South. 8%. And we're talking about Blacks having no civil rights at all. Right. But it was so much a part of their culture that they didn't even have an idea that, that anything should be different. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's it's kind of like people say the blind leading the blind. You know, when you are so used to something that you've never thought about anything different. It's hard to see things from other people's perspectives. I think that that's one thing about last year. A lot of people were forced to because of quarantine. You know, some people who had never had a problem with job security, all of a sudden they did. And that was the first time they had ever experienced being on that end. Some people who had never had a problem with any kind of bureaucracy, you know, everything had always been smooth for them. And now they're trying to apply for unemployment and nothing's working and they're having to go back over and over and over again, week after week after week, you know, and they're like, oh my gosh, people have been dealing with this for, you know, forever. And I'm just learning how difficult this is. You know, I'm just learning how difficult it is to get services. Um, So I think that last year opened up many people's eyes, not just about racial issues, but about social issues, economic issues, just inequality across the board. And people began to see oh, we need to work together to, you know, diversity, meaning sometimes it's about bringing people together, including them in a coalition going for social change. And I think we saw a lot of that last year with people just coming together across ages, races, political backgrounds, sexual orientation, when it came to getting food, getting shelter, getting um, racial justice and, and, you know, with George Floyd and the, the protests. So we saw diversity. I mean, last year was diversity, like on display in mass in so many areas. Um, and I, I think that was really beautiful. And I think it has changed America. Um, but again, as you say, you have that, that backlash of, oh, this is a big thing now. Let's make sure we're in compliance, but it's not genuine. You know, it's not genuine. It's not really about change. It's just about, uh, let's go back to the status quo as soon as we've had this training, but we've been trained. (laughs) We've been trained. Yeah, Yeah, so last year, um, after the George Floyd incident and and the other incidents of last year, because it wasn't just one incident, but after people started really seeing the videos and, you know, being Black in the U.S., we've been complaining about police brutality for years and years and years. When people finally started seeing it on video and I could no longer say, okay, well, it, it's not happening. You did see a lot of people who are not black stand up. So if you look globally, there, there are protests globally in France, in, in, in Italy, in South America, in Africa, all protesting the same thing. Not this police, police brutality, but discrimination and whatnot in the United States, in their own countries. And as you said, people from all shades, genders came together. And that was wonderful. That was wonderful. Now, again, I started getting more email requests for coaching, more for diversity and cultural awareness coaching, and asking to be on more podcasts to speak on to speak on what took place. And a lot of times, they were again from people whom I felt weren't that weren't that um, um, weren't coming for the right reasons. For example. I was requested to be on um, a number of podcasts to share, to openly share, as being somebody black from the U.S., what are the issues we're facing, right? And to give some, some context. And I noticed that for certain podcasts, they had never had a black person on that show before. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I'm saying, okay, so am I coming on because they want to say they're woke? Am I coming on because you want your audience who may not have a lot of black people in the social in the social circle to hear the truth, right? So am I coming on for legitimate reasons, or am I coming on because you want to sort of take advantage of the situation? And a lot of times, I was happy to say a lot of times, it was for the second reason. They really wanted their audience to learn. And I think that is tremendous. Now, I, and they always ask me a question, Colin, how do I communicate more with people outside of my, my, my race 
and mm -hmm. about this when I don't really have, you know, <laughs> I don't have many in my social circle. And I said, I said, look, start at work. Start mm -hmm. at work. You know, we are trained. I mean, if you look at the, the, the work environment now, they train you so hard, they train you so hard now to say, you know, don't talk about certain things at work. Don't talk about religion. Now, now, don't talk about politics, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and don't talk about issues such as race. And my view is that's the perfect place to talk about it. Because one, for most of us, that's where we're interacting with people of different races. So it's only natural that that's where we should have conversations. Now, not aggressive conversations, but water cooler conversations, lunch conversations, right? Casual conversations where you're learning more about each other. Because if you can do it there, you then understand and become more comfortable to talk to people outside. So work is a, work is a place where you really and truly want to have those casual conversations with your coworkers. And of course, that means that you must be in an inclusive environment where people feel safe and they feel, they feel like if they do share their views, they will be accepted and not rejected. So you have to have the environment there, but work is the perfect place to start having what? Conversations on how we can all be allies together. I love that. Um, and I think respect is so important because you can not understand, but you can listen and, and try to understand. You know, and I think about, again, going back to different cultures. I remember the first time I heard uh, the Indian parable of the five blind men and the elephant. You know, they were asked to draw an elephant. And so these are all blind men. So one walks up and fills a trunk and says, oh, an elephant is like a rope. And one walks up and fills the legs and says, an elephant is like a tree. And the other one walks up to the side and fills the side and says, an elephant is like a wall, you know. And, uh, you know, so they are all partially correct, but they are not seeing the whole picture. Um, and it's when we can say, okay, I, I have my perspective, I have my experiences, but my experiences are not the total picture. Mm -hmm. Other people have valid experiences too. They have different experiences than me. I can learn from them. And being humble again to say, okay, let me learn from those that are different from me. Let me let me be inclusive so that I can be an ally. You know, even if it's not in a sense my struggle, I could still be an ally. Um, and I think that that's something that we saw a lot of people try to do. They tried to, in a sense, as you say, become woke, you know, and a lot of people hate that term. Um, but that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to wake up. They were trying to open their eyes. They were trying to, some people call it become conscious. You know, so they were just trying to become informed and to cast off some of these um, misconceptions that they had, you know, and again, we talked about cognitive dissonance, you know, saying, okay, this may be uncomfortable for me. And I may in the very beginning have that backfire effect where I get really angry and upset. But if I can just calm down right. and listen, I'll realize it's really not that much of a threat. It's just another perspective is just a bigger part of the picture. It doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change, you know, my life in a sense. It's just adding more to the picture. It's just adding more. And, and I can take in this information without feeling like I'm losing everything. You know, I don't have to fight tooth and nail for my worldview. I can be open to diverse worldviews. I can be inclusive in my worldview, you know, and, and I think also sometimes people feel like they're betraying their ancestors or their heritage when they begin to open up to different perspectives. And again, we, we don't have to feel that way. It's a choice. You know, we can be open to learn. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the things I've, I've learned um, over the past, I'm gonna say 18 months, as I've gotten into more diversity and inclusion training and one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, especially in my one-on-one -on -one coaching, because I do coach individuals about diversity and cultural, cultural awareness. One of the things that being somebody of color who has been discriminated against, when we do now have discussions on people wanting to be allies, let's say white people or Asian people who want to be allies, one of the things that we have to understand from their side is they're going through some change also. 
we may have anger, built up anger or resentment, but they may have guilt. And sometimes people act a certain way because they feel guilty. They may get aggressive. So understanding that, that they're feeling guilty and they may have fear. And I'll tell you what I mean by having fear. I had several clients whom the biggest challenge they had was accepting changes in their relationships, not with black people, but with their white friends. For example, I had one client who went in her, her Facebook and just used the Black Lives Matter background and so many of her friends reacted negatively toward her. And they thought it was a phase she was going through, but she decided she is really trying to be an ally. She's really trying to ensure that her own social circle is more diverse and inclusive. And she started spending more time with people of color. She started really having more comments on her Facebook. And she said, so many of her friends said, look, we're getting tired of this now, okay? And the relationships were different. So we have to understand that sometimes people who want to be allies to us, they're going through some things also, and we must have empathy for them. I know it sounds strange saying, look, we've been the butt, we've been, we felt the, the brunt of discrimination almost our whole lives, and now we must have empathy for, right? <laughs> so it's very hard to understand, but we have to, right? We have to, we have to understand that anytime we're going through change, especially, as you said, said earlier, when we're trying to embrace different cultures and, and change some of our long-term thoughts, we have to have empathy on both sides. Empathy for folks who went through it and are now a little frustrated. Look, we've been talking about police brutality for years, and now you guys believe us? And now you want, you want us to embrace you? Right? And empathy is that once, once we do embrace you, that may impact your social circle and your family relationship. So empathy on both parts is really what's needed for us to have that diverse and inclusive environment in our, at work and in our social circles. I also want to say diversity is not just outside of the culture, it's within the culture too. You know, mm -hmm. um, I like to say that Black people are not monolithic. We are not all the same, you know. Um, and I remember when Juneteenth came around, my Facebook, one, one of my Facebook friends said, uh, you guys, all right, who've been celebrating Juneteenth forever, okay, do not be jumping on the people who are now just starting to celebrate it and saying, oh, you know what, you want to come to the cookout now, you know, because they may not, we, we sometimes people, we may feel that others should know and should have known and should have been doing X, Y, and Z if they were really representing the culture or whatever. But everyone has their their pattern of growth and everyone has their experiences where they learn about different things and they're exposed to different things and we all um change and grow at different rates you know so right. we have to even within the culture realize that everybody you know there are some people that are always going to celebrate july 4th and there's some black people that feel like i shouldn't celebrate it and that's so yeah, cool. i have you know yeah, I, I have i have a great juneteenth story for you so, ah, okay. as you know, I live here. I live here in Shanghai, China, and I've been here in Shanghai, China for the past 13 years. And this year, this year was the first year that myself and two other gentlemen decided to organize the first annual, we hope it's annual, Juneteenth celebration here in Shanghai. So, we, yeah, yeah. So we had we had the first one here in Shanghai, and we had we had over 100 people come out. Now, interesting. In a group that I'm in, uh, it's, it's an online group. I, I, I was promoting the, the event. Now, my family is Jamaican. I was born in Toronto, Canada. My family was Jamaican. So in this group, it's a Caribbean group. And I said, hey, guys, we're having a Juneteenth event in a few weeks. Instantly, we're not American. Why are you putting this here? This is not for us. We're, we're Jamaican. Why would we even, why would you even post this here? And I'm like, ooh, aren't we all black? Aren't we all celebrating what Juneteenth is about? So luckily, some in the group said, you know, you know, this is good to post it here where we are all black, we're all one family. But the, the folks who were just like anti, 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 it was very quick. As you said, even though we're all black, there's still divisions or people don't view us as being one, one thing. So we have the event. The event went great. Uh, and during the event, I had a brother, a, a mentee of mine, who spoke for about 10 minutes, giving a, a motivational speech, a, a motivational message. 
Now, he is from Ghana. Now, after the event was over, we got feedback at the survey, and so many folks said, one, do not have an African speaking at a Juneteenth event. Another one said, next year, we should only, we should only, it should be a Black American event only. And I'm like, wow, that means I can't even go. I'm Canadian, but I can't even go. And I was just surprised by the lack of inclusion that we even have in our own group in a strange land in China. You would think in China, it will be black above everything, right? But it it, it, it it opened my eye to see that we have a long way to go because when we talk about discrimination and whatnot, we always think about another race or people different sexual orientation, but we don't think about discrimination within within our own group. So that was very eye opening eye opening to me. It made me sad, but also made me realize. That's, that's, you know, we have to have a long way to go. Yeah, and, and that brings up, you know, colorism and a lot of other things that, you know, are within the culture. But one thing I did want to bring up um, that comes up a lot when people talk about diversity and inclusion is why are you guys always trying to include everybody? You know, we were actually better off when we were segregated. We, we focused on ourselves, we had our own black businesses, and we didn't worry about them over there and them over there. We took care of our own. Um, and all of this inclusiveness is what's got us in the situation we are now where we lost 40% of our businesses and, you know, the black family is in disarray and we've got all these interracial marriages and, and the people who are saying this are very upset about inclusion and feel like it has been the downfall of black culture, um, black family, black business, black everything, you know? So what, as somebody who um, trains people on diversity and inclusion, have you ever come up with that? Have you ever come against that? Have people in your audience saying things like that and had to kind of combat that mentality I had last year, um, um, it, was more, it was more related to the president last year um, than anything else. Uh, people had, had, their, had their views of, of what it would be, let's say, make America great again, what does that mean? So there were a lot of people who felt that meant that America should be not this majority of one race, but really all the power, all, all the power in that race. So there was that, but you know, one of the things that I tell my clients is that get over it, get over it. The United States is the only, one of the only countries in the world who has so many different races living in one country. If you look at even some European countries, they're still majority white. Now France is changing, but they're still majority white. In the US, you, you can be an American and have be any shade, any shade, and not just a few, but, 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 but hundreds, hundreds of thousands, millions of people of different races. So the U.S. is very different. The U.S. is not going to go back. The U.S. is not going to go back to being just one race, having all the power. Things are changing, and they're changing for, for the good. Now, having said that, the question now is, is, is not segregation, but there are the, the people live, are still living predominantly within their their type, I want to say. You see black neighborhoods, you see white neighborhoods, you see Hispanic neighborhoods, you see, I want to say Asian neighborhoods. So I'm not going to say it's, it's segregation because this is more, more planned, so to speak, free will, right? As, so you, you see that. And I went to an HBCU. So I went to a college, Howard University, which is undergrad, like 98% black. So I understand the environment of, 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 of living in, in a segregated school. When I grew up in, in Kentucky, I was in a white neighborhood. So I see the differences. And I, I got to say that the one benefit that I had going to a black, black college was learning knowledge of self. So when you're exposed to what we call more information about your culture, that's great. I would not have gotten that at a state school. So when, when we talk about segregation or living in, in the community of people who are like you, I think it's great. 
but for a phase in your life, I think it's great. And then you have to, or you should make sure you're in an environment of people have different backgrounds, not just based on race, based on gender, based off, based on uh, religious, uh, religious views, based on different things. The, the more diverse of an environment you can be in, the more you will gain. And if you got kids, the more your kids will gain as well. Well, I, I agree with you on that. I had a very interesting childhood, okay? Because um, I went to Catholic school till seventh grade and there were three minorities in the whole school. It was me, okay, it, for, for females. I was a black girl, there was a Hawaiian girl and there was an Asian girl. And then there were, um, what was it? Two black boys and a Hispanic boy. So it was like three and three, okay? And everybody else was white. Now, the benefit to that was that the school had extremely high standards. Um, everybody, of course, was paying to be there. So you did not have kids that didn't care about their education. You didn't have problems with classroom management or, um, you know, everybody did their homework. Everybody stayed awake in class. I, I had never, until I switched and I went to a public school, I had never seen a person, a kid, asleep in class ever. I had never seen writing on a desk or writing on the bathroom walls, never. Uh, so there were things that I did that were culture shock for me. I remember the first time I walked into my middle school and uh, this is a public middle school. And I remember the very first thing that happened as I was walking in, I saw more black faces than I had ever seen in my entire life. And I was standing in the middle of the hall and other people thought I was crazy. Because I was literally, I just stopped, I walked into the building and it was like one of those movies, you know, when you see the person walking into the building and they just stop right. and they're looking and there's just the sea of faces. That was me. I was standing there and I was like, oh my God. And it was such a good feeling. It was a good feeling because I felt in, even though I love school in many ways and hated it in other ways, because I didn't feel like I fit in at all. Um, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, you know, and, and I grew up mostly in a white neighborhood too. So it was like, it was almost like, and this sounds naive to say it, but it was almost like, I didn't know there were that many black people in the world, you know, <laughs> 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 you know to, to walk in. But then, you know, I'm going to school and uh, I'm making friends and, and, you know, I have, I have my athletic abilities. I, I was, you know, in choir and all these different things. So I had my little niches where I fit in. But then it was like, why do you talk like that? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're an Oreo. Oh, you're not really black. Oh, you don't yeah, know this yeah. music? You don't know. I mean, you got to realize I'm coming from an all-white school, basically. So the music that was played at that school, and, you know, I had the music that we played at home, you know, so I knew a lot yeah. of old school music. But as far as the new stuff that the kids were listening to, I didn't know that because my parents didn't listen to that. And my friends at the white school didn't listen to that. So I was completely out of the loop when it came to who was in and what was in and absolutely, totally. So it was, you know, talking about switching environments is culture shock. And then I went to HBCU and that again was so wonderful. Like you said, there is nothing, there is nothing on earth like a HBCU. It is just like, one? I went to Jarvis Christian College. That was Christian, okay. I was there for almost two years. So I didn't actually finish there. I transferred to U of H. But um, the only thing, I've never been to Africa, but it's the the closest thing I think it would feel like is going to the motherland. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because it just felt like there was just a feeling. And, and watching uh, the show A Different World, to me, it really does, that show really did yeah. capture. Absolutely. What it's Absolutely. like to be at HBCU. It just the whole vibe, the 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 love, the unity, the it was just it was just an incredible experience. I mean, I, I told my mother before she passed, I was like, you gave me some things that I didn't even know I needed, and I'm so thankful. So going to HBCU was one of those things that was such a beautiful thing um for me. And then coming to U of H and being around such diverse cultures was also beautiful. It was beautiful in a different way. You know, so um, it's, it's amazing what it's like to have those experiences and to be able to go in and out of yeah. these um, really diverse cultural experiences. And then these more, how would you say, more 
uh, ethnocentric, you know, cultural. Right. I got to I, I gotta share my story with you because I, I have one also. Um, a story of, of growing up, so to speak. Um, same thing you experienced. You know, my parents, as I mentioned, are Jamaican. Uh, we lived in Canada for a few years, then we moved to, to Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. And my first few years in school, people would say, wow, you talk so strange, you talk white. And we didn't, we didn't speak a lot of bro broken English. And I remember purposely trying to use more slang and purposely trying to change my speech so I fit in more, even as dark-skinned as I am, trying to fit in more being black. So I always regret the fact that I went down that route and didn't stick to speaking properly, but that, that's fine. But I was, I remember I was probably in middle school and my oldest sister, sisters were going to college at, at Howard. We were a Howard family. And I remember the first time going there to, to drop her off. And Howard is right outside PG County in Maryland. And PG County was one of the largest uh, black counties in the US. I remember going to uh, um, uh, uh, Landover Mall. This is in a black area. I walked into the mall and everybody was black. And I was like, what is this, right? And you go outside in DC and black people driving good cars that, that aren't beat up. I'm like, what is this place? And from that moment, I knew I had to get to DC because I'd never seen so many black people not living in just a poor part of town mm. or not just acting a certain way. And I remember when I went to Howard, my freshman year, I said, wait a second, you mean black folks can be class president? You oh, wow. Folks can yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd never seen that. I mean, in my high school, we had one guy, Sergeant Arms, right? But he was oh. the, he was the, the, you know, the, I won't say token guy, but whatever. But it wasn't until I got to Howard that I saw, wow, black folks can be you know, class president. They can have, they can, they can be in positions of power. I'd never seen that. And it, it, cha it changed me because it, it made me realize that it's possible and it's possible and we can represent ourselves and you know hbcus just teach you really so much about who you are and it prepares you for going to work in a diverse environment i agree i agree and and you know i'm always going to be a proponent of hbcus you know just just they're amazing so getting back to diversity and inclusion a little more i guess uh focused what do you think are some of the things that you want to stress to the audience out there about this topic that you think may be misconceptions or um, things that people need to know or focus on when it comes to this topic? Mm. Well, I, I think that if I had to just give my views on where or how people should embrace this topic, I, I would say that Look at your social circle. What is the social circle made up of? Is it people who are just your age? Is it people who are just your sexual orientation? People who are just your, your, your race, ethnic background? And what are you learning from them? Mm. I think we can learn so much from our peers. If you're learning the same things from your circle, it's time to expand your circle. It's time to learn new things. I think that going forward, we are seeing a more inclusive culture. We're seeing, if you look at the fact that Juneteenth is now a federal holiday, and a lot of black folks had no idea about the holiday. Imagine all the other things that we don't know about within our culture. Imagine what we can learn in other cultures. I think now that if you look at, again, look at your social, your social circle, does your, does your social circle run the gambit of hues? all the way from black all the way to white and again what can you what can you learn from other people i don't know go find out go have conversations and the better you're able to interact with people socially the better you'll be able to interact with people in your professional environment and the better you're able to interact with people who are different from you in your professional environment the better you'll be able to embrace people in your social circle so both are cohesive whether or not you start at work, whether or not you start socially, you really want to expand and really embrace other cultures. What this does, if you're able to do this, you go from just being in a diverse environment to being in an inclusive environment. And that means that people feel like they belong. 
It also means that you will feel like you belong. A lot of people, when they're around people that are different, they feel self-conscious. They don't really want to show who they are. But by practicing and being bold and embracing people, the more you make them feel belong, belonging, the more you'll feel belonging, <laughs> saying that word right, the more you'll feel like you belong as well. So that will be my, my, my takeaway or, or whatever to your audience. Really try to expand your social and professional circles. Okay, okay, I think that was a good takeaway. So um, my last question before I'm gonna have you kind of tell people how they can find you and, and kind of what you offer in your business. I have heard uh, some people feel that minorities are hypocritical. And this is what they'll say. They'll say something like, um, you guys have black entertainment TV. You have black history month. If we were to have white history month, that would be racist. If we were to have a white entertainment TV, that would be racist. And then most black people would say, but 98% of history is white that we learn. And you know, 90 something percent of entertainment is white. You know, we're the ones that are fighting for the space. So is there anything else that you would say to those people who feel like we're hypocritical, we wanna be included, but then we have our spaces where we want to exclude other people? Yes, yes. And it's taken me a long time to be able to do this and say this. I do not have the conversation with them anymore. Yeah, I'll ah. give an example. So, so, so last year, when last year, yeah, 2020, I was asked to talk about Black Lives Matter and here in Shanghai. So one of the challenges I had were people kept saying, you know what, all lives matter, blue lives matter. Why is it that do, 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 do? And I said, guys, I'm not here to talk about the merits of Black Lives Matter. I'm here to tell you what it is. If you want to challenge that, want me to convince you, it's not my job. That's not why I'm here. So now when people say, well, you have black entertainment TV and, and blacks are killing blacks more than cops are killing blacks. I say, look, if, if that's your belief, fine. I'm not going to waste my time trying to change your belief. I'm going to spend time with people who want to learn more, who want to be more open. I'll spend time with them. So it's very important that, that you know, we don't fall for the bait, so to speak. If mm -hmm. somebody doesn't, doesn't believe your way of your, your point of view, it's not your responsibility to change their mind. Now, somebody comes and says, hey, you know what? I have a different reviews. Can you, can you share with me your view and I'll share with my view? Let's have a talk about it. I'll do that. But I'm not going to try to change somebody's mind who's challenging. And I can tell doesn't want their mind to be changed. They want to change your mind. So I don't have those conversations anymore. I just let it go. And, and that actually brought up another question I have also heard the argument, and maybe this fits in the same category for you, that, well, we're having so much racism because people keep talking about race. If they just stopped talking about it, then we would really move into this post-racial society where nobody would be concerned about it. We would just be concerned about people being people and people being good people, you know? So does that fit in the same category for you where you're like, I'm not gonna have that argument? So exactly what you just said, I'm going to add an end to that, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And by the way, I don't see color. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah because a, a lot of times the people who are saying, can we stop talking about it? Let's, let's get on with it already. Are, are, they individually might not be racist or, or have these certain biases, but collectively their, their category or their race, the, the, you know, typically somebody who's white. Okay, and they're saying, let's just get past this. It's not a big deal, but they haven't had the same experiences. They're not feeling it on a day-to-day -day basis. And yes, being black in America, you feel it on a day-to-day -day basis. Even if nothing happens, you just wear that. It's like, a, it's, like a, a, it's like going outside and putting your jacket on. It's just there with you all the time. So I would say that, again, if somebody doesn't have the same experiences with you, they're not going to feel it like you feel it. For example, if you have a passion, you have a dream, you say, you know, I want to be a life coach and help. No, I want to be a singer. I want to be the best singer in the world. I'm very passionate about that. And your friends, they may not really believe, believe in you. That's okay, though. It's your dream, not their dream. So the same thing. 
you have to go based on your experiences. Their experiences can be very, very different. And it's not your responsibility to validate their thoughts. It's not your responsibility to change their mind. Your responsibility is to try to learn more, be a good citizen, represent your, represent your, your area, not say area, represent your gender, your race, represent everything you're about in a way that does not it doesn't contribute to negative stereotypes. And if you can, if you can, interact with people that are different from you. Learn from them and help them learn. That's it. Don't waste time with what I call the trolls. I call them trolls. Don't waste time with the trolls. Well, you know, one idea behind Zenergy is that even small little changes ripple out and can have big effects. You know, so um, one of the books that I read recently was called Atomic Habits. And, and the idea was that small changes over time lead up to massive changes, you know? Um, and so sometimes people are like, they have this idea that change has to be all or nothing. You know, you have to go from, let's say, um, drinking, you know, three cans of soda a day to never, ever drinking it in the rest of your life. Whereas if maybe if you just drank half a can, you know, a day, that's a big improvement. You know, you can get to maybe not drinking it at all later, but anything that's an improvement is a step in the right direction. And so, you know, to expose people to new ideas, to get them to think about new ideas, to get them to even be a little more open to just letting go of some of their rigidness and just being more receptive to um, being a lifelong learner and, and, and just growing as a person in their perceptions. You know, that's one of the ideas with Zenergy. That's why I like to have people like you come on to talk about, you know, what you do. And so I wanted you to tell people where they can find you and a little bit about your company. Yeah, yeah. So I want to first start with, as you mentioned, making some minor tweaks to what you do and how those, those, those tweaks can really open things up for you. I have, I have a, um, a little tip or idea for your audience to try. If you really want to become more comfortable talking with people who are different, different from you, and again, that can be based on gender, um, gender, um, ethnic background, religious views, whatever it is. What's it, right? So if you're, let's say you're waiting in line in the grocery store and somebody, you know, I'm black, maybe a, a white gentleman is behind me. And I want to learn how to have conversations, casual conversations. I want to learn how to not be so nervous or uncomfortable speaking to people I don't know. I'll just, I'll look at him and find something about what he has on. Maybe it's a ring, maybe it's a shirt. I'll say, hey, what kind of, what's that? What kind of shirt is that? Something, something just to make a little conversation, right? And what the, what the help me do was to be comfortable talking to people whom I don't know. Because I can, I can see a black guy and say, what's up, man? What's up? Very easy. But it's more difficult when somebody is not like me. But learning how to just start a conversation is very, is very, is a very practical and strong step in you learning how to, what? Embrace people who are different than you. So a little small thing, just, just seeing somebody, ask them a question about their shoes or their hat or something to start a conversation. It goes very far because now you are, you're not as nervous. And they are more what more trusting and more more talking to you about something very casual right don't say don't ask to, 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 with your idea do you, with your idea do you live here don't do that one right right, <laughs> right. right. but to go back to yeah go back to your question um I, I like i said i am here in shanghai china i've been here for 13 years uh i started my career here with ibm doing a lot of it work but i was very fortunate enough to move into coaching training and consulting back in 2018. And now I have a small, I say a small boutique uh, coaching business here and training business here, here in Shanghai. And I really, you know, offer different types of coaching, but I think as it relates to what we're doing today, I also I offer what I call diversity and cultural awareness coaching. And as a result of this coaching, my clients are able to, to understand the attitudes, beliefs, and behavioral patterns to become non-judgmental and, and, and empathetic toward people from other cultures. So if you want to, and your artist wants to develop the ability to objectively evaluate situations without stereotyping and to really learn how to embrace cultural diversity and awareness, reach out to me and we can be on a call, we can be on a, a coaching session in a matter of days or weeks. 
Uh, my website is O-L-I-G-Y-E.com. O-L-I-G-Y-E.com. And again, and, and then you ask the question, what's the benefit of really embracing diversity? And the, the benefit is really learning, learning so much of other cultures, learning so much of other people. And that only helps and makes you a more valuable citizen and a more valuable employee as well. Awesome. I love that. I love that you said that you want people to become, you know, less judgmental. You know, that that is a, a beautiful thing. I mean, oh my gosh. Uh, because, you know, I think that when we judge, you know, we're cutting ourselves off from things like empathy and understanding. Um, and we're jumping to conclusions often. So I try to move away from judgment all the time. I try to uh, be more open and try to put myself in other people's shoes and just try to listen more because you can learn more that way. And um, I also have my own motivational packages. I, I just finished volume two. Um, so I'm going to show this for the people that are on YouTube or this is actually volume one. So it's a package is $15 package. So you get a workbook, a blank journal, stickers, a motivational band, and tabs. And this is actually what, what it looks like, you know. Wow, on the very cover. nice. And inside, you know, each page is a different topic. So like the first page of volume one is abundance. It has a place for you to put a song, a movie, a book, an affirmation that are all related to that topic. And, and here, what it's supposed to get you to do is really thinking about that topic using your whole brain. Not just the left side, not just the logical side, but tapping into that intuition, tapping into that creativity. Because when we use the whole brain, we actually retain things more. And the, I, you know, I've been doing journaling for 30 years, okay? But mm. I bought all these journals. I bought a goal-setting journal. I bought a meditation journal, a gratitude journal, a personal development journal. I never finished one because they were all <laughs> repetitive. Every day you went and you did the same thing. You know, you wrote three things that you were grateful about every single day. You wrote down how you did on your goals every single day. I was like, oh, okay, I'm not doing that again. I did that for 30 days. I'm done. So when I created my own, you know, there are different journal prompts for each topic. And some relate to goals. Some relate to gratitude. Some relate to meditation and how you're going to really focus on visualizing this topic. Some relate to your, you know, planning and preparation for this so it's every day when you go in it's not the same thing because i need variety i think most people need variety and then for the people that are kinesthetic you know they like to draw and this is what mine looks like so you have a place to put mm -hmm. an ancestor somebody who passed on that you want to learn from a contemporary you have your vision board space you can also draw there so you know it's a way to incorporate all those things uh, and I actually just finished volume two. So volume A was all, I'm sorry, volume one was all A concepts. Volume two is actually A and B concepts. And I actually put a table of contents mm. in <laughs> in volume yep, two. Very good. Yeah. Um, and again, trying to get people to open up their thought process and really think about a lot of different things they haven't thought about before. Give them food for thought. You know, so... So there's a little ticker going down uh, across the bottom of the, the page. And, you know, I have magnetic bookmarks and I have motivational bands and keychains and all kinds of other things that I sell, you know, so you can see the website down at the bottom. But I want to thank you guys for joining us. I think we had a great discussion about diversity and inclusion. And we just want to, again, for you to really embrace change and that it's not a bad thing. It's growth. You know, life is change, but we can choose the direction that we're going to grow in. And that being more inclusive, being more open can just lead to so many different possibilities and just so much newness and freshness in life. Whereas staying in the same rut, you, you know, if you try to do the same thing, same way, you're going to get the same results. Same but if you want, you know, a better life, a more full, a, a richer life, you got to open yourself up to new experiences, new thoughts new people, new groups, and just really be inclusive and, and add some diversity to your life. And so I want to thank, you know, our audience for joining us. And I want to say, may you walk.
Tins Energy. Have a great night. My name is Zena Shea, and I have a weekly podcast called Zenergy, which is fuel for the mind, body, and soul. And this is the Zenergize Your Life Goal Setting Package, Volume 1. It comes with the workbook, a journal, stickers, a bookmark, tabs, and a QR code where you can find my podcast. And inside this workbook, you're going to have 16 different principles. The first one, I'm going to show you mine, is abundance. You have a place to put pictures that inspire you of role models, also pictures of goals that you want to create, goals, journal prompts, meditations, affirmations, all kinds of things to help you focus on this principle to better your life. And like I said, there are 16 principles. So this is a $15 package that comes with all of these things I've shown you, $21 with shipping and handling, and you can get it at laughsandlyrics.com. So Zenergize your life with me. Thank you.